The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. If a baby is born before 37 weeks or unwell, they will often need to spend days or weeks in a neonatal unit to be provided every opportunity of surviving and becoming well enough to leave hospital. Approximately one in five babies born in Australia will require specialised neonatal intensive care. So today on MediTalk, we speak with neonatologist Dr Joe Colvin to learn about neonatal care. How many babies in Australia require neonatal care? Each year in Australia, it's approaching about 50,000 babies now per wow. year that will come to a, a neonatal intensive care unit or a special care nursery. Um, we've got several names for yeah. units that look after these babies, but it's, it's between 15 and 20% of all births. The baby will require some form of specialised neonatal care. And what are some of the main reasons why a baby will come into a special unit, a neonatal unit? So one of the most common reasons is prematurity. That would yeah. be one of our top reasons. And so most babies, mothers will carry them to 40 weeks of pregnancy. Anywhere between 37 and 42 weeks we consider to be term. Uh, but babies born before 37 weeks we consider to be premature babies mm. and many of those babies will need care in a neonatal unit for a variable period of time depending on how premature they are. Another common reason is uh, breathing difficulties. So a large number of those premature babies will have breathing difficulties but even babies born on time, that group that we consider to be term, many of them can have breathing difficulties at birth for a range of reasons and they would need admission and care in a neonatal unit. Okay. Other common things that we deal with are babies with um, what we call congenital abnormalities or commonly known as birth defects. So issues during the baby's development where they're born with a condition that needs care and treatment and a proportion of those will require surgery. So there's another group of babies in our units that have got a condition that requires um, surgical treatment. Other common reasons are infections. So it's quite common for babies to contract an infection during the delivery process and they will need to come to a neonatal unit for treatment of that. Or sometimes babies will um, develop an infection after birth, what we call a postnatal infection, which frequently they will contract that from siblings or parents often that's a virus, and they will need care in a neonatal unit for that infection. And then there are babies with jaundice that need treatment, babies with low blood sugars, uh, babies that are from multiple births, so twins, mm. triplets and so on, will, are, are much more likely to require care as well. And uh, a lot of the time, can you predict 
you know, um, during the pregnancy, if a mother might require neonatal care for their baby? Or is it something you can't predict or you can't? So sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Um, It's a bit of both in there. So the things that make um, it more likely are, so for example, multiple births. So yes, if a mum is carrying twins or triplets, we would... Um, she would be warned that her babies are likely to require uh, neonatal care. Uh, babies, if if there is one of those abnormalities that I talked about, if that's known antenatally, if that's picked up on ultrasounds before birth, then those parents are counselled and are aware um, that their baby's more likely to require care. If mums have got Um, pre-existing medical conditions Mm. that might make it more likely. So mothers that have uh, insulin-dependent diabetes or gestational diabetes, uh, issues with high blood pressure, so preeclampsia during pregnancy, um, those mothers are all more likely to deliver their babies early or for their babies to need neonatal care. So they would have some Mm. awareness that that is more likely. Uh, but then there's a, a group of women, obviously, that mm. it, it wasn't anticipated or expected, um, and and for them it's often a big surprise. It's an it's a very good question though, because uh, in Western Australia, the um, Women and Infants Research Foundation, which is based out of King Edward Memorial Hospital, have uh, got a program called the Whole Nine Months, mm. and Uh, A big component of that is predicting women that might deliver their babies prematurely. Uh, So they look at the length of the cervix between 16 and 24 weeks of gestation and have found that that's useful for predicting women that are at higher risk of premature birth. And then that can be managed to try and um, avoid that outcome and reduce the likelihood that their babies will be born preterm and end up in a neonatal unit. And it was very special walking in tonight and and, and, and just seeing it all. It's gorgeous and seeing these beautiful cherubs in their little capsules. But it must be very overwhelming when it's your baby and you see all these machines. Can you talk me through some of the machines that people might see that are taking care of their baby, as well as all these beautiful people? But there's yeah. machines that look very complicated. Yes, yeah, so it's it's certainly an area where there's a lot of um, very high-tech equipment um, in order to provide the care for the, that these babies need. And it can be very frightening and overwhelming for parents when they see that for the first time. Uh, we actually try and warn them about that, if we can, before they, they come and are faced with that. We, we do try to warn them about... Um, what monitors and equipment um, are being used with their babies so that it's not quite such a shock, but um, I think it still is despite the warning. Um, So a lot of the equipment is for monitoring um, and I do always say to parents it, it looks 
quite terrifying, but it's really just monitoring your baby's heart rate, your baby's breathing rate, your baby's blood pressure, the oxygen levels in their blood. And all of those monitors yeah. have a lot of wires and so on attached. And so that can look overwhelming, but it's it's keeping an eye on their baby and making sure that all of those observations are where we want them to be. Um, but then there's also equipment that we use to actually treat babies. So the breathing difficulties that we talked about before, uh, we have two main methods of assisting babies with their breathing. One is called CPAP, which people are often familiar yeah, with. Yeah, for, for older, sleep apnea. Older is people it the with same? sleep apnea, it's similar. Um, yes, it's the same concept mm. that we're delivering a, a constant pressure into the baby's lungs to hold their little mm. air sacs open um, and reduce the work of breathing for them. But um, the CPAP can look quite overwhelming, mm. actually, because... Um, we require a lot of equipment to keep it on the baby. Mm. They're often very feisty and they like to pull it out. Like adults like when they're a, wearing yes. CPAP. <laughs> and and so there's a lot of equipment just to actually keep it on them. Um, and then we also will use ventilators if we need to give the baby more assistance with their breathing and, and those are obviously large machines that... Um, can look quite scary for parents, yeah. so we always warn them about that. There's also a lot of tubes associated with feeding babies, so often babies in our unit can't feed, and so they're either given fluids intravenously into their blood, so there's a lot of tubing associated um, with that, and or if they can tolerate milk feeding, then they'll have tubes going through their mouth or not nose into their stomach to give them milk directly into their stomach. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of wiring and tubing and equipment, but uh, we find if you explain it piece by piece, mm. it, it helps parents to break it down. And if they understand what each component is for, um, then that helps them to be less overwhelmed and by it. I suppose it. it's the proportion because you're, the babies are so little mm. and the... So, you know, when you're putting a tube against yeah. a, such a little baby, it, it probably, just the proportion difference would yes. go, oh. No, yeah. That is, that's true. Yeah. So then how much contact can parents have with their babies when they're in a unit? So it really depends actually on how unwell the baby is. I mean, for all babies, regardless of how unwell they are, we encourage the parents to be here as much as they're able to be. So um, every neonatal unit I know of is open 24-7 to parental visits. So we encourage them any time of the day or night, if you're worried about your baby, mm. you can always come and, and see them, mm. um, which is obviously easier when, when mums are still in hospital. It's mm. more difficult once they're at home um, but they are welcome to come and visit any time and we really encourage a lot of contact in terms of hands-on contact mm. that can be harder so if a baby is very unwell then uh, that type of contact that of course all parents want to be mm. able to hold and cuddle their baby that can be difficult in the early days but there are lots of other 
ways that they can touch and comfort their baby and we encourage them to do those. So even simple things, just holding their baby's hand. You know, babies have got this lovely grasp reflex yeah. and so even sick little babies will Will they will still grasp? grasp? Yes, oh, they'll grasp amazing. their parent's finger. Um talking to their babies you know babies are very soothed by their parents voices they're very familiar Mm. obviously to them from their time in utero and so um, we encourage parents to talk to them to sing to them Mm. tell them about their day read them stories and can you tell on the monitor do do sometimes their vital signs change when they're hearing their mum or dad's voice well certainly they will often still to their parents voice so they they will often calm. Um, it's interesting you ask that because mm. a form of contact that we really encourage as soon as a baby's able to is kangaroo care. So we will put even quite sick and tiny little babies onto their parents' chest. So um, the parents have um, their shirt off and the baby's naked except for a nappy, and so we call it skin-to-skin care. And often during that kangaroo care time, um, it's been shown that babies' heart rates will steady, their breathing rate will steady, their oxygen saturation, so their Mm. oxygen levels in their blood will... Um, improve um, what we call desaturation so kind of instability in those oxygen levels they will improve so absolutely touch is really important Um, and obviously that time is so precious to Mm. parents they often feel quite um, powerless I think Mm. in this setting where other people are caring for their baby and they don't feel that they're able to take on that parental role of caring and soothing their baby and so those simple ways talking to them holding their hand kangaroo care helps them get back that sense that they are the parent and they are the one that can look after their baby and we encourage them certainly it as the babies improve and are more stable to really get involved in participating in their baby's cares so might be simple things like doing mouth care on a baby or taking their temperature um, lifting the baby up while the nurse changes the sheets uh, that type of thing Mm. Um, and then as the baby gets better and is more able to tolerate it then um, feeding and bathing and weighing and all of those types of cares if parents can actually do them themselves mm. that makes a big difference to their experience of so their nurturing baby. for the mother or for the parents as well as for the baby yeah absolutely. Yeah. and I saw before um, as I was waiting um, there was a mum and and parents coming in and the mum was doing her expressing yeah so there's a lot of um, you know encouragement to spend that time expressing the milk and yeah absolutely so we encourage mums to express by their baby's bedside yeah uh, if possible often that helps with their milk supply um, and again it's parents spend hours in the neonatal unit you know, okay. watching their baby and and just being next to your baby um, in that environment is is beneficial to mum and baby. Yeah. So then in terms of bonding, 
do they do parents often feel because you've given lots of other ways through singing touch um the kangaroo care is is it been shown that the bond the parental bond can be just as strong that that really is very helpful for both the the mum and the baby yeah, absolutely. I think parents often fret about the fact that their baby's not with them and isn't breastfeeding immediately and so on, and they worry about that bond. Yeah. Um, but there's there's really no evidence to suggest that babies that, it's a that lesser have bond. been. That's right. Yeah. You know, when when babies are going home with their parents, their their bond is is no different to yeah. when they're going home. Um, if they've not come to the neonatal unit, you know. And so, but I think parents do worry about that. And so all of those small ways, if we can involve them in their baby's care and really empower them with knowledge and confidence to become involved and and see themselves as part of a team looking after their baby, not not on the periphery, um, that their baby... Um, needs them just Mm. as much as a baby that's upstairs on a postnatal ward with its mother. You know, their baby needs them just as much. Um, And so trying to involve them, I think, makes a huge difference to to that sense of bonding with their baby. And then in terms of multiple births, do you ever put babies or siblings together? So we did used to actually have I remember babies. seeing yes. pictures of, you know, when one yeah. might be a sicker twin and they, you know, you'll see pictures yes. in neonatal care units with the twins touching. Yes. Is that actually true or is, does well, that we, happen? We certainly sometimes will do that for a short period of time. We will put twins together for a like I say, a short period of time. We used to have twin cots and have them together in twin cots, but with issues around safe sleeping now Mm -hmm. um, and SIDS risks and so on, we we actually in the neonatal unit now keep twins in in separate cots. But yes, sometimes we will put them together for a short time. And then what about other visitors? So, I mean, it's been probably particularly... Has it been any different with COVID as well? Yes, it has actually. So um, COVID has caused obviously a lot of upheaval in medical uh, settings and it has made a difference to our visiting policies. So in our particular neonatal unit, and and this is different, different neonatal units even within metropolitan Perth have different policies and certainly across Australia. Um, But our particular unit, we allow parents and grandparents Mm. um, only into our unit. Uh, We did used to allow siblings, but um, made a decision a few years ago that that seemed to cause some infection risk in our babies being exposed to siblings. Um, And so with COVID, though, we've had to Mm. also say no grandparents are able to visit at the moment. So it's just parents um, that can visit babies in our unit at the moment. Especially so important, being so vulnerable to infection. Yes, they are. They're very vulnerable to infection and, of course, um, you know, exposing because every single baby may have you know, a significant number of visitors and then they're obviously exposed to staff as well and so you can end up with exposure to 
an enormous number of people if each baby has a significant yeah. number of visitors. So it is, it's a balance, obviously, and it's one that we've, we've struggled with finding that right balance because you want, to, you want the extended family to be involved. They're obviously very important to the parents to have that support of um, other relatives and so on. Um, but we also clearly have to keep the babies safe. Yeah, number one priority. And then what other advice do you give parents when they've got their little baby in a neonatal unit? We've talked about the importance of other ways they can bond with their baby, um, talking them through the machines and, 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 and the care that their baby's getting given. Is there other advice that you talk parents through? Uh, well, certainly I think when you ask parents who have been in this situation yeah. what what helped them or what tips mm. they would give to other parents, uh, a lot of the time they will talk about being empowered with knowledge. Yeah. So really to use all of those resources available to them. So there's a lot of written information now. There's some very good websites. Each each neonatal unit would provide written information to their parents about what is going on and, you know, how the neonatal unit runs, who will be looking after your baby, mm. when do the doctors come and do their rounds. Um, and that would be all on the St John's? website? Yes, yeah. yes. So we um, have a booklet as well that we give to our parents, but that's also accessible on the website. Um, and then learning about what are all the machines yeah. and what are all what we call the interventions, which are really the treatments that we are, are using for your baby. Um, what is their likely course over the coming weeks? Yeah. So what's likely to happen with them? Um, what's the longer-term plan for going home? What's the likely... Are there any longer-term implications for, for your baby? So I think... Um, Parents definitely feel much better when they have knowledge. Mm. So really using, asking questions all the time, becoming involved when the nurses are doing cares, you know, ask if you can do that care or ask uh, for that care to be explained to you. Why, why is that happening? And writing down those questions, yes. isn't it? Because sometimes Absolutely. you, you know, <clears throat> when you're in that moment, before you know it, the doctor's, you know, you think, oh, you yes. Know. So it's probably, you know, not being afraid to actually write the questions down Absolutely. and, you know, write the answers down if you need to, yeah. just because sometimes when you're in that moment, it's very hard to remember remember things. We've actually it? got a little whiteboard with for each baby where parents, one of the um, parts that they can fill out says questions we would like to ask, Yeah, you know, so they can actually document that. So then if, for example, uh, we're seeing a baby and the parents aren't there, they mm. may be at home or elsewhere, and we can look and see that they've got a question about such and such, we can contact them. Mm. We can call them and say, I see you were worried about the weight gain or whatever mm. it may be. Um, so yes, we you oh, know, em good. really empowering yourself with knowledge, I think, helps them a lot. Um, I think it's really important as well that they take care of themselves. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're such... 
they can be little things, but they make a big difference. And particularly if you're going to have a baby in a neonatal unit for a significant period of time, um, then uh, it you need to be in it for the long haul. Yes. You know, it's it's a marathon, yeah. not a sprint. And so basic things like getting enough rest. Uh, eating well, drinking lots of fluids. They're really important for your breast milk supply as well. Yeah. Um, having some time away from mm. the, the stresses of of life, you know, having some exercise time if, if that's okay after your delivery, um, having some time to go for a walk, spend time with friends. A lot of that self-care um, is really important mm. that mums in particular take care of themselves. They are usually expressing breast milk three hourly. Mm. So even though their baby is not with them at home, they They're actually come in still, every three hours. They don't come in for that necessarily. They they will do that at home. So mm. they're provided with pumps and equipment to be able to do that at home. Um, but... Uh, you know, so despite mm. the fact that they don't have a baby with them, they actually are still doing that. And that in itself must be very conflicting to be doing these things that you need for your baby, but your um, your baby's not at home with you. So that must take time to process that psychologically and that feeling of perhaps even guilt, you know, that I, I should be at my baby's bedside, yes. I, I suppose, would they be natural? Well, certainly I think, you, you know, there's an absolute range of emotions. Yeah. Having a baby in a neonatal unit and uh, there's there's fear often, there's grief maybe mm. that uh, you didn't have the birth experience or that newborn experience that you had hoped for. Um, and I think guilt it can be a part of it as mm. well. And stress. I stress, of absolutely. The unknown, unpredictable, yeah. not being in control. It'd be, it'd um, be very... But, you know, we mums at home, once, once they've left hospital and their baby's still in the unit, that's a very difficult time for mm. them. They will often say how hard that is to leave hospital without your baby mm. in your arms. That's a really difficult milestone for them. Um, and, you know, they will try to be here as much as they can, but we do recognise as well that some of these mums, this might be their second, third, fourth baby, and they have other children at mm. home that they also have to provide care for so they can't be here mm all day, every day, um, and I think, you know, sometimes they do feel guilty about mm. that, but obviously um, they do the best that they can yeah. and we just reassure them that in their absence we take care of their Of course, babies. yeah, and I, I would imagine that um, you know, you've doing this job for a long time that you've seen parents work through all those different stages and then, you know, they end up taking a beautifully healthy baby home and that must be both extremely satisfying for yourself but also so lovely for to see you know parents going home with this they've gone through such a journey so many challenges and they take a healthy baby home with them yes yeah no yeah. definitely I mean it's an incredibly rewarding job in that respect um 
And you use the right word, you know, it's it's a journey for them. So uh, you do see them start off and they're quite frightened. Sometimes they're terrified of what's going on and, mm. and really distraught at how unwell their baby is. And then hopefully over time their baby improves yeah. and, and we do see that progress and it is lovely to see them going home yeah. happy and confident and so on. We do encourage just along the lines of it being a journey, I think it's helpful as well for parents to um, keep a journal mm-hmm. of their baby's time in a neonatal unit. So, uh, you know, writing down their weights and, and all their little firsts, you know, yeah. the first time that they came off the CPAP or the, the first time they came off the ventilator, when they reached one kilo or when they reached two kilos or when they regained their birth weight, um, you know, the first kangaroo yeah. care cuddle, all of that type of thing. They're, they're little milestones and we try and celebrate them as yeah, well. We we make the babies little certificates when they do all of Aww. these things. Um, and documenting handprints and footprints and, you know, all lots and lots of photos and videos and so on but but keeping that um, journal I think helps people as well see progress mm. that you know that um, and it helps them see the light at the end of yeah. the tunnel watching that journey of their baby and it's an amazing memento when they look back on it yeah. um, to see how far their babies come. Absolutely. So then what determines a short or long stay in a neonatal unit? Uh, Well, really how unwell a baby is. Mm. Um, So some babies are only with us overnight. Um, If they are not very premature, for example, if they're born around 36 weeks and they need to come to us just to help maintain their temperature maybe, they might need an incubator or a heated mattress or... Uh, for a period of time. Um, Some babies with a low blood sugar that might need some intravenous fluids to correct that, they they might be with us for a very short period of time. And then you've got other babies that are either very premature and so will stay in the unit for for many months um, or babies that uh, are critically ill or Mm. have had surgery or... Um, something along those lines that necessitates treatment for a prolonged period of time. So, you know, it can be as brief as a couple of hours Mm. um, up to many, many months. And then if you know you're having a premature baby, is there ways that uh, parents can prepare? Well, we try to, again, it goes back to the giving them some knowledge yeah. and some understanding. So if we know that uh, parents are going to give birth uh, preterm or to a baby that's going to need our care, um, we would meet with them usually before the delivery. Mm-hmm. So as a neonatologist, we go and talk to the parents and explain what might happen. So what they could anticipate to happen at the delivery so that they're aware of, because we attend the delivery, how we would look after their baby then. Um, And then when we bring them to the neonatal unit, what care they might require and so on. And we talk them through the whole uh, journey, really, what what we are looking for at each period of time, when they're likely to go home, 
if there are likely to be any long-term issues or follow-up, we, we try to give them that information before the baby's even born. Mm. Um, I'm sure sometimes it's a bit of information overload. Yeah, and I'm, um, I'm sure with so, Google people can yes. over-Google. <laughs> yes, I, they certainly can. Um, but I think they find that useful actually to have that um, picture of what to expect. Mm -hmm. um, then when it does happen, it, at least they know what's going on. It's It doesn't seem so foreign to them when they understand what we're doing. And then I guess I would just say to prepare just like any new mum would for an impending delivery to get yourself organised, mm. you know, make sure your house is full of food and um, get lots of meals prepared and so on. You know, again, going back to that self-care, you, you will spend hours and hours with your baby in the neonatal unit each day and you need to be able to be looking after yourself. Um, so to have some support systems in place, you know, if you can line up friends and family, um, people will often say, you know, how can I help or what can I do to help? And to say yes to yes. all of those offers. Rather than yes, saying, I'll please. be fine. That's right. Um, and to get those support systems in place before the birth um, so that you're in the best possible situation to deal with it when it happens. And what is there developmental um, implications to having a premature baby? Uh, so, yes, there certainly can be. Um, and again, it really um, is related to how premature mm -hmm. the baby is. So the, the more premature a baby is, the more risk there are of um, developmental issues, longer term uh, issues. Uh, for that child, uh, but the good news is that the what we call the outcomes, ex expected outcomes, are improving all the time. And here in Western Australia, we have really amazing outcomes um, for even babies that are born quite prematurely. So the answer is yes, that is a risk, and in fact, it's even a risk for late preterm babies born around. 34 to 37 weeks, um, that's we're becoming more aware that even those babies can have learning difficulties or behavioural issues. Um, but the outcomes generally are, are very good. Really high quality neonatal care makes a very big difference. Being born in a centre that can care for babies that are premature makes a difference. Um, the use of antenatal steroids, so mum is given steroids before the delivery um, and they have been shown to um, improve outcomes. So there are, there are various therapies that can be given to mum before the baby is born um, that improve developmental outcomes and then, you know, there's a whole gamut yeah. of neonatal care in, in the last few decades, the, the strides and progress that's been made, all of those things yeah. combine, contribute to better outcomes overall. And what do the steroids do? Uh, so the steroids uh, play a very big role in maturing the baby's lungs. That's oh. how we... Uh, Put it to the parents, yes. um, but they so they have a significant impact on um, 
respiratory distress or breathing difficulties after birth. And then what are the vital signs that you're looking for before you, a baby gets the big okay to go home? A big tick. Yeah. So, the, well, it depends what the baby was in here yeah. with really. Um, so obviously if a baby was in here with they were a term baby good sized baby um born on time but with breathing difficulties then for them we we want resolution of their breathing difficulties yeah. and then they'll be able to go to their parents and and go home if a baby was with us for jaundice we want resolution of the jaundice and um an understanding that there isn't an underlying cause that we need to be treating um before they can go so it depends on yeah. what you're here with uh but if you are admitted because of prematurity then um the things that a baby needs to be able to do is breathe, obviously, by themselves yeah. and um, without an excessive oxygen requirement. Um, they need to be able to suckle their feeds and that's one of the things that keeps them with us mm. usually until they're about 37 weeks gestation. Um, so babies born before that period of time will often not know how to suck. Their mm. suck reflex isn't well developed. And so it takes them a period of weeks or months, depending on how premature they were, f to be able to actually suck mm. all of their feeds and to be able to go home. And is there an ideal weight? There's not, not really no. so much of a weight criteria, actually. Yeah, so right. we had a little baby go home the other day that was very tiny, oh. but very strong, sucking yeah. all her feeds. So weight tends not to be the thing that keeps babies in. You must celebrate unit. as an entire ward when a baby goes home. Yes, she got a lot of attention <laughs> <laughs> on her discharge. <laughs> oh, she was a gorgeous. very beautiful little was girl. She? Um, but and how long did you have her for? Uh, we had her for about five weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Does it go fast to the time? It must go slow. Does it go slow for everyone? It probably goes, goes slow, slow for the, the parents, parents yeah. actually. I'm sure that the, um, you know, every minute feels yeah. like a day for them. Yeah. They just want baby at home uh, with them. So, yes, I think it's probably slow for them. Yeah, but it must feel... Um, Every day when they're getting that little bit stronger or, as you say, they're having those milestones, it must be, yes. yeah, just a beautiful, uh, well, it must be very exciting for them and, and yes, for the absolutely. team. absolutely. And we do celebrate all those milestones yeah. as well. And so when uh, a baby and, and parents are transitioning, you know, they're, you know, it's not, it could be a few days a week before you think, oh, we could be reaching these milestones to go home. What are the, th what's the advice that you'd be giving the parents to make that transition as smooth as possible from leaving the hospital to going home? Uh, well, there are simple things, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of, like I said before, about being organised yeah. uh, in terms of having lots of food at home, lots of pre-cooked meals and so on because you've obviously got your hands full, that would be the same for anyone bringing yeah. home a newborn baby. Um, just being organised with basic things like your car seat and yeah. your equipment. Uh, often our parents need to be comfortable giving medications, so to make sure that, you know, they've had... The nurses will always take care to demonstrate that to them. Uh, give them any equipment that they need um, to have at home. 
Um, and then really I think it's about setting up supports. I just think that's really crucial. There are some really great organisations. We've got an excellent organisation in WA called Tiny Sparks. Oh, yeah, I've seen them oh. on, on social media, actually. Yeah, there yeah they're go. gorgeous. And um, an Australian organisation called Miracle Babies. So both of those organisations have got support groups and I think it's worth parents linking in with them. Uh, they've got support lines, so people that you can call um, 24-7 for advice or oh, that's kind lovely. Of, um, emotional support. Um, and there are Facebook pages yeah. of parents that have had babies in NICU. Um, so just to line up... Those types of supports, I think, is important to link in with the child health nurse in the community. Um, we would always make sure that they're aware that a baby's going home from from the neonatal unit, and and make sure that there are extra supports and and care around that. Um, and family and friends, you mm. know, to make sure that. Um, there are people out there that are going to be looking after you because mm. it's you know it's very challenging having your baby in the unit, but then that's also a challenging milestone actually mm. graduating from a neonatal unit and taking your baby home. Um, and, and do you have to worry about infection because suddenly, you know, I'd imagine all these family and friends that haven't seen this little baby <laughs> would suddenly rock up at your house, <laughs> and would you need to really? be mindful of making sure people yeah know. absolutely so talking to a neonatologist about that we would you know what we would like to say to people is don't let Please. anyone near your yeah, baby imagine. <laughs> um so which you know isn't isn't reasonable but we just tell people to exercise caution yeah you know just to be aware of the infection risk that's involved in having mm. visitors. Uh, there are things you can do. You know, we always make sure that all grandparents have been immunised. Parents to say, have flu been immunised. Would be absolutely. Yeah. So flu vaccine and whooping cough and whooping vaccine. Cough. Mm -hmm. So you know, we do tend to say, don't let anyone near your baby if they're not vaccinated against those illnesses. Because those first few weeks before a baby, and it's serious, isn't it? At oh, the end of the day, absolutely. I mean, I know. Parents must feel, I mean, I, I've had it said to me, have you had whooping? <laughs> um, and I, you know, I've been absolutely, you know, it's, I think it's so important, but I'm sure there's some parents or people that might think, oh, they're being over the top, but it's so serious, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So babies die of whooping cough, of pertussis. Um and, and it's still around? Yes. No, it's oh, absolutely. It's most definitely still around. Um, and before they have the, their initial vaccinations, they're at very high risk. Yeah. Um, and we do warn people, you know, that for you or I, something that would give us a scratchy throat mm. can put a baby on a ventilator, you know. So I think sometimes people say, oh, I've just got a head cold or I've just got a scratchy throat and... That's fine for an adult, but mm. for these for these little babies, even term babies mm. who haven't been in a neonatal unit, um, those viruses can be extremely dangerous. Yes. So yes, we we proceed with you know it's always good to be cautious. Isn't yes, it? that's right. Yeah. And obviously, it's important. You know, we've talked about emotional support. You need to be able to see your family and friends yeah. and so on. 
but um, you just don't yeah. let anyone near your baby if they're not well. Yeah, of course. Um, and, yeah, we do just ask people to be careful. So just to end, what are, what are sort of three key messages that we should remember about neonatal care? Well, I guess the first is that... Uh, when I think about neonatal care in Australia, mostly I just think we're incredibly fortunate. Mm. So we've got an amazing system, hospital system here, where most women and babies have access to these neonatal special care units or intensive care units where they really can receive world-class quality care. If you do end up in a situation where your baby's in a neonatal intensive care unit, um, I think that is a, a reassuring thing for many mm. parents. Um, the second message would be, as I've said over yeah. and over again, you know, if you are in that situation, be become empowered with knowledge, educate yourself, use all of the amazing resources around you. Um, to really help yourself feel that you are a part of this team caring for your baby. You are an incredibly important part of that mm. team, actually. You're a crucial part of that team. Um, and so um, getting involved, being with your baby as much as you're able, getting involved in their cares and getting yourself ready for that happy day when they will um, hopefully come home is a really valuable and important thing. And I must admit it was inspiring walking in and seeing all these pictures of these babies, you know, and you, you're obviously getting them, you know, months later. But that just shows that, you know, you know, what is born might be vulnerable and might be sick, but also you do get the good stories of months, years later of them developing and, and being healthy children. Yes, I mean, it's it really is. I say to people, it is the best job in yeah. the world. <laughs> um, what I do, and certainly we get immense gratitude from our parents. You know, they're always in, incredibly grateful for um, the role that we've played in, in looking after their baby. Um, and I, I do get a huge buzz. Sometimes I'll be out in the community or at a school or something Aww. and I'll see a child that I know was extremely unwell yeah. that I've been involved in looking after and it's immensely gratifying to I see bet. them running around or just like know, any other toddler yeah, or yeah at school or wherever wherever they may be yeah um and um yeah it's extremely rewarding seeing that journey and it certainly is a journey for the parents and again you know for some parents it's a very difficult yes and a very long journey um but it's always a, a honour to be a part of it. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today on MediTalk. And I'm really hoping that people will get some reassurance that they need from listening to this episode. So thank you. Thank you. A big thank you to Dr. Colvin for sharing her knowledge with us today on MediTalk. And to learn more about Dr. Colvin and St. John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. 
If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.